Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. Today, we're going to cover thinking styles. But before we get into that, we would like to encourage our audience to participate. If you guys would, please do like our podcast and leave any sort of reviews or comments that you may have so that we can provide you with a better product. Dan, do you want to take it off? Sure. So when we think to ourselves, uh, sometimes there's a timing element there that uh, makes for differences. People think of the term thinking fast and thinking slow, and there's a rather famous book by Daniel Kahneman, the Nobel laureate in economics. And Kahneman's position was that we sometimes make these very rapid, automatic decisions. And then at other times, we can think things through and deliberate and maybe more carefully reason about a problem. One of the elements of this, the slow form of thinking is often valued as our reasoned mind, whereas the automatic sort of thinking is thought of as emotional or rapid and more prone to errors. So one of the uh, lore of the field is that uh, when you think too quickly on a decision or you're too emotional, that it always comes out to be a worse decision. We have talked about this a lot in in terms of mental models, and we don't think there's just two modes of consideration. Rather, there would be multiple of them because we don't have two systems within the brain. The brain is much more complex than this. And so another type of distinction that George and I like to make is three levels, starting with instinct. The instinct-based decision would be typically something where you're trying to get food, or if you're very thirsty, getting some water, or uh, responding to fear. So emotional kinds of decisions are based on instinct. If people are running and yelling and uh, stampeding toward you, it's a really good idea to follow the herd in that case. Things organized around our uh, more primitive brain systems that enable us to rapidly take care of our survival needs. One level up from that is intuition. So intuition is frequently what what we think of as a fast system because it just feels right. The answer comes to us quickly. A lot of the intuitive biases that we hold are based on our prior memories. And so there are associations that get stoked up based on the context, and we make a quick decision that's sometimes correct and sometimes incorrect. So Dan, like intuition, what would that be, like driving a car? You could think of it that way, right? So a well-learned response like driving, if you uh, think about how we learn to ride a bike or ice skate, uh, you go through this incredibly controlled, deliberative, error-prone process, and then eventually it clicks in to where your brain has become very efficient, and you can get to the answers uh, quickly in thinking or do things in motor movements um, like skiing or skating. How would that be distinct from instinct? Well, instinct tends to be more emotionally driven. So if there's something to be fearful of, you don't really have to think about it at all. And it's so quick. And it's going to happen within different brain systems. That's probably the final arbiter on what's an instinct versus intuition is the brain systems. Areas like the amygdala that respond to our the salience of the context, the emotional qualities of the context, that's more of an instinct-driven bias. Um, Those act very acutely, and they're extremely difficult to avoid acting on. Whereas intuition, we can interrogate that, right? We can either respond quickly, or we can intervene sort of from a more 
conscious perspective of, well, it feels like that would be the right thing to do, but wait, let's let's step back. And that takes us, what I think of as the third level is, is reasoning, which we've talked about in uh, this uh, case with your conscious mind. So we can think something through. Typically, it's more complex, takes more time, and again, it involves more of the cortex. So that's one of the differentiators at the level of the brain. When we consider things to ourselves, you get a lot of cortical activity. And so like when you see the interaction between reasoning and intuition, would habit be an example where some initially you have something that uh, you have a reasoned response that's very deliberative that you're focused on doing, and then after a certain amount of repetition, it actually turns to, into being intuitive or habitual. In the research field, habit tends to occupy sort of a sideline area. So a habit tends to be something where it's a behavior that we've repeated so often that we sort of fall into that habit. That's a little bit different than intuition to me. I think when we're presented with some new problem, there's often an, an intuitive thing to do, but you're sort of, there's some novelty there. You're not just sort of carrying out the same habitual sort of behavior. This is more like dealing with incoming information, but making a snap judgment about it that we don't embellish upon a great deal. So it's really more of a deliberative circumstance that we're talking about here. Not necessarily something where you have a trade or a practice that you've done. It's where you're applying judgment to a particular circumstance. That's fair to say, and time is really a key as well. So instinctual kinds of decisions happen very fast. Intuitive are slower, but still in the realm of fast. And then reasoning is more deliberative and slower, and it tends to be more complex as well. We can take more into account at the reason level. Right, okay, so I, I see this all the time in our practice. There are issues, and Kahneman outlined a lot of them in Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, where we can be uh, very good at the intuition or the thinking fast form of, of reasoning, but it has its gaps. And a lot of times we need to slow things down so that we can think more deliberatively uh, about decisions that we face. That's a good way to put it. Think of, uh, you, you get certain biases out of the automatic, intuitive sort of system of thinking or style of thinking. And I think it's helpful to think through this from the end, it differentiates the instinct level from the intuition level. An instinct bias, I would say, would be something like loss aversion. It hurts more to lose uh, money than it does to... A loss hurts more than an equivalent gain feels good, essentially, right? There's or no question. Pro athletes will say, um, I hate losing more than I love winning, right? And so that, that's a driver of behavior. It's, it's universal across people, and it has some evolutionary basis, right? We don't want to lose something that we already have. It's, it's captured in a cardinal rule that uh, Warren Buffett has advocated that uh, he learned from Benjamin Graham, which is uh, really there are three rules of investing. One is don't lose money. And then the rule number two is don't lose money. And the rule number three is don't forget rule number one and rule number two. It's extremely well put, and it captures the universal quality of this. And it also informs us a little about how hard it is to outthink the instinct system, right? It's almost a fact of nature that we'll, we hate to lose. 
an intuition bias, by contrast, I think would be something like hindsight bias, which is the case where once an outcome is known, everything seemed to have pointed to that outcome. The reality of it was you really couldn't see that outcome in the moment and predict it because the world's complex. And so uh, intuitively, it feels like it all added up to that outcome. But in any complex situation in life, investing certainly, a different outcome could have been obtained in the world, given the complexity of the number of factors interacting. It just happened to work out this way. That's a little different than an instinct. However, it's, it's kind of taking information in a way and then applying a, a judgment about it that it just feels right. Right. You're filling in the gaps. It's interesting because often... I find that people will make an investment decision or investors will make an investment decision. And even though that investment decision was reasonable on the face, given the probabilities of the outcome and the research that was done, if they have a bad outcome, which can happen in any circumstance, because there's always, if there's a 75% chance of success, you can always be on that 25% side of the equation. And then they'll try to read some lesson into what it is that happened. So this happened because of some narrative that they come up with to describe the unfavorable event. And then they try to extrapolate that with some sort of a lesson that they've learned from this. When in reality, they made a decent bet. It just had an undesirable outcome. That's well put. There are learning moments in our lives where there's something really instructive to take away from a situation, and then there's just bad luck. So sometimes we have sound reasoning and a sound narrative. You know, in, in effect, our mental model was optimized for the, the knowledge we had at the time. We made the right call. It's just that there was some other you know, unlikely event that, that kind of intervened. And so w- with thinking about investing, it's much better to think in terms of the long run make the right calls consistently. Sometimes you're going to lose, but as long as you're on the, on the positive side more often through sound analysis, you'll do well in, in overall. I totally agree. So there's a couple of different analogies that I like to use when thinking about this circumstance. One is imagine someone playing blackjack and they're sitting at the table. They've got 19 showing and they decide to stand pat. And uh, then the next card comes out and uh, for the, the player that's sitting next to them, and it's a two. That player stands pat, and then uh, the dealer shows their cards, and they had, you know, two tens. Well, the reality is, is you had the correct answer. It was the correct play to stay pat, even though you had a bad outcome. Just because if you had taken a hit and effectively gotten 21, that wasn't a good play. So you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you make the right decision, have a bad outcome, and then try to extrapolate some sort of a lesson as to how you could have been successful in that particular circumstance. And from a brain perspective, we have this area of the basal ganglia, which are a set of cells in the brain that respond very much to contingencies out in the world. So this you can think of this as your foraging brain. Rodents have a basal ganglia. With that, they can predict really where to go and where to find the food. And so we're always fighting against that. That capability is within the human brain as well. 
And our cortex forms these long-range narratives and uh, reasoning about things. So timing is really tricky because there are brain circuits very optimized for fast decisions based on contingencies. And uh, in the in the case of the uh, the card analogy, you know, in blackjack, you do have to make a snap decision. It feels very meaningful if you happen to lose this round. A better way to consider it is to sort of take yourself out of that moment and sort of extrapolate over time. If you make sound decisions. In the long run, you're going to win. It's just so hard to do this because it's like delaying gratification. Yeah, I think it's always a good practice for people who are interested in uh, managing money to actually play poker. Because a lot of times you're going to have situations where the odds are initially in your favor and then they shift because of developments and circumstance. And then you're going to lose. And a lot of times it's about not losing as much in a particular circumstance, but having uh, the understanding that it's a question of several different decisions that are made over a long period of time, and that's how you have success. The same thing holds true in playing poker. And poker is very much like life in that there are many levels at which we can think about this. So you can certainly bluff your way to winning a pot, but if you do so with bad cards, you know, every now and again, that'll work. But in the long run, you're going to lose. So you have to think about what you're holding. And then there's all this social dynamic of what are the circumstance and what's the context. Uh, sound card play is going to require some discipline. You have to know when to take the calculated risk and do so over time. And also relevant to this, this concept, regression to the mean. So any extreme outcome in almost any area of our lives don't expect for that to hold, right? A streak is going to end at some point. And outstanding performance on one or two instances, you sort of are going to expect that to drop back at any point. And it, very relevant to investing. Many things that appear to be some meteoric rise are going to have a precipitous fall that comes after them, simply because the world tends to balance itself out in most complex systems. Yeah, it's always uh, interesting. We'll have days... Uh, at the fund where we have a fantastic day, but we know that the next day uh, it's likely you're going to get some mean reversion and you'll underperform. Uh, it happens all the time. So you always have to somewhat temper any sort of you know short-term elation you have from your successes with the knowledge that uh, it's likely to be followed with a little bit more heat uh, later on. Now, that's not always the case. Sometimes you're, you know, you're on a burner and uh, you know you experience a, an extended period of success, but eventually it comes to, a, to an end. And what you're describing here involves all three of those levels. You've got your instinct level where you're hating to lose. You've got kind of this intuition level where you're sort of thinking you've got a handle on what might happen. But fundamentally, you've got this long-range narrative playing over, out over time. You have to really reason about this and exert mental discipline so that you're, you're playing your best cards, you're, you're making your best moves over time. One of the biases that comes about at the reason level is called the curse of knowledge. And this is a case where expertise starts to hurt you. If you know too much, and this can be about a certain industry or about a certain company or position, you uh, start to see things that uh, almost no one else is. It's, and it's like you have really too much knowledge and you're bringing too much to bear on this. And you start to become too invested in your own analysis to where you're over-inferring detailed predictions that someone else would. Yeah, it happens all the time. There's often cases where 
you've done some significant amount of work. You've uncovered facts that are not fully disseminated within the market, but you tend to project the fact that perhaps the market has those facts as well. And when you see price move in a way that is consistent with the facts that you see, that uh, you anticipate others are just discounting what it is you already know. Another strange feature of the curse of knowledge is that we tend to assume people uh, share our level of knowledge. And if we know a lot, we'll guess that most others are thinking the same way. And if I find this with teaching students a lot of the time. I, I think a joke just seems incredibly you know, germane to the moment and very funny. And, and you make that joke and they're just sort of glassy-eyed and have no idea why you're laughing. And that's sort of the curse of knowledge, too, that you, you can get too much inferred, and we can only guess at what others see based on what we've seen. Yeah, no doubt. Dan, I always laugh at your jokes. So, oh, thank you. you know, it's not, <laughs> it won't be a problem for us. But kind of interesting to feed back to instinct, intuition, and reason. It's not always the case that reason level is optimal for making decisions. Uh, the idea that you are going to sit down and you're going to methodically work through the facts and come up with the best decision every time without having the influence of your prior experience. Because sometimes there's just, there is a uh, gut feeling that develops over time. It can mislead you from time to time. And it, it's important to understand those circumstances because of your experience where it has misled you in the past. But the analogy I like to use is uh, if you imagine skiing. In a lot of cases, when you're making decisions in the market, it's not something where if you're going to learn how to ski, you're going to read it in a book, and then you're going to sit down for a little while and plot out your plan on how you're going to ski, and then you're going to execute that plan. Really, to some, sometimes it's just a question of getting on the skis and going and doing it over and over and over and over again. Now, it's more complex than that because you're also mixing in a reasoning element uh, where you're skiing, but at the same point in time, you're making very uh, precise plans on how it is that you plan on skiing. And if you ski like I do, it's, it's a very big reasoning task. Many times I find myself very overmatched on a hill. And then it's very much a reasoning problem that involves instinct. How do I not kill myself or break a knee as I move from point A to point B? And then I'll stop and try to make yet another move. And so these things really do interplay dynamically. Sometimes it's uh, valuable to make an intuitive move. Getting back to the history of cognitive bias, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, who really started this field in the 60s and 70s, tended to characterize the faster decisions as the more error-prone ones. That's probably correct a lot of the time. Gerd Gigerenzer, a German researcher, took issue with this and started to say, some of our rules of thumb or guidelines or fast cognitive moves have value, and sometimes that's the right style. If nothing else, it buys you time, right? So if you get through the day with a lot of fast decisions being made, as long as you're within your realm of expertise, you can have pretty good outcomes from that, and you've saved time. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's, it's never as simple as having a, always having a reasoned view in isolation is going to lead you to the optimal decision. That's right. We can sometimes overthink it, and from the brain perspective, we can 
overexcite the cortex and begin to over embellish upon our mental model, right? That's living too much in your own mind. And so perspective taking is really relevant here. Sometimes you really just have to sort of step back and see what the world gives you as outcomes and then try to make sense of those. If, if you're overly active and overly pushing your theory, you can really run into some of these reason-based biases where um, you're simply overthinking the problem. Yeah, there's no doubt. It's a good idea to keep a journal as an investor so that you can evaluate your decision-making process over time and see what you were thinking. Uh, sometimes when the market is particularly volatile, sometimes it's good to just sell down to a point where you're no longer mentally distressed and get off the desk, you know, take a walk, breathe, avoid uh, the stress of the moment and put yourself into a place where you can be a little bit more reflective. That's a great thought on how to remedy a lot of this. Put into place good structural practices in your environment. So uh, winging it by intuition is not a good strategy a lot of the time. And you leave yourself open to making some of these errors, whether they be instinct, intuitive, or reasoning-based biases. If you haven't planned ahead uh, and kind of structured your day, your workday, for example, around um, you know, sort of front-loading your most important decisions, you know, make decisions that matter when you're not fatigued. That sounds like a simple thing to do, um, but it makes for a, a better outcome in the long run. If, if you're regularly going in fatigued, uh, if you haven't eaten, you're going to make poorer decisions. Sometimes you'll get away with it, but over, over the longer term, it's very helpful to build practices into your life that guide you toward being disciplined. It's interesting. There are investors that I know of that will not look at the market throughout the day. Some people will actually take their cell phone and remove it from where they are so that they're able to sit and focus and stay in that reasoned state where they can analyze something in particular and have a lot less distraction, interruption that may throw them back into that more instinctual or intuitive mind frame. We may suffer from information overload a lot of the time. There's so much information available at all points. We're really in a, at a time in history where you have to step back and there can be some value in disconnecting uh, and really putting deep effortful work into one area. So I think we've uh, sort of done a, a tour of these, these levels of thinking. Um, let's go ahead and recap and say uh, some of our conclusions about this. One thing that we have to know, there are these different levels of thinking that we experience. You have the instinctive level, the intuitive level, and the reasoning level. And it's not necessarily the case that one is always the most desirable for making decisions versus the other. It is the case, though, that uh, there are biases that are particularly latent within the intuition level of thinking, and there are others associated with reasoning, and you have to kind of find the right balance. It's good to implement various controls to allow you to understand how you're making decisions and then think about how you're thinking. Things like keeping a journal, things like stepping away from highly charged volatile moments where you may be affected by emotion. That's right, and these are built into our 
brain architecture. We have instincts for a reason. We're sometimes going to have to act on those. We have intuition, which can really help us save time. But we also have this remarkable ability to step back, uh, do more complex, effortful work, and take in more of the situation. So you have to sort of embrace the fact that we think at multiple levels, really not just fast and slow, but rather a more detailed Timing is important, but the nature of the decision matters. And so it's not a single tool to approach all decisions with. And I think, again, we've said this a couple of times, play the long game here. You know, make the best decisions, uh, be disciplined sort of in your work life or in your personal life, and you'll have better outcomes in the long run. You're going to lose occasionally, but don't despair about it. You know, try to learn from it, but often, but discount it. If you've done things in a sound way that's defensible, it may have just been bad luck this time. Totally agree. There's so much that we could say on this topic, but I think we've expressed that core thesis that you just outlined, Dan. And I think it's about time for us to wrap. Okay. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a jar. Please subscribe. Visit mentalmodelspodcast.com for updates on Dan and George's upcoming book release titled Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. Also available on mentalmodelspodcast.com are show notes, book reviews, and upcoming behavioral finance seminars with Dan and George. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Twitter. Please subscribe, and thank you for listening.